The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year. The champion of the Best Ball Mania tournament drafted in June last year, so there's no time like the present to join and take a shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you pay 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your Best Ball Mania team today. Welcome, everyone. Doing the first thing here with a live stream of the Unexpected Points podcast. For those who are unfamiliar with what I do here a couple of times each week, it's solo sometimes, it's guest other times. This will be a solo podcast. I either dig into the topics of the week from a more of a analytical nerd view, if you want to talk about uh, the different types of view and framework that I look through things. You guys can try to give me uh, virtual wedgies through here if you want. And other times we hit special topics. Uh, for instance, later this week, I'm going to be doing a second podcast in a series on the greatest statistical quarterbacks of all time, where I have my own formulation looking at quarterbacks going all the way back to what they called the modern NFL and the modern NFL started a very long time ago uh, in the 1940s, looking at all those different quarterbacks, trying to rank them statistically by how much value they added through the air and on the ground in their careers, giving a little extra credit for the top peaks, giving a little extra credit for playoff performance, and then ranking them and discussing all their different careers. It's been very informative for me to look at some of these older guys to get a better perspective and also make some comparisons to people we see in the game today. All right, so what are we going to talk, though, on this particular podcast? We're in the depths of the offseason, but I created my own content this week, in a way. Uh, I was sitting back on a lovely Sunday on this 4th of July weekend, and I received a DM from a, a friend of mine, a virtual friend of mine, and a uh, listener to the pod, Brendan Leister, where he is a football coach. He's a Browns fan, so that's maybe how he found me for the fact that I was such a, a booster of their analytical approach in the past. And he shot me a note. He let me know about an interview that John Robinson, the GM for the Tennessee Titans, an interview that he did on a podcast called The GM Journey, I believe. Probably should have uh, written that down before I start, but um, former... Falcons GM Tom Dimitrov has been doing a series, a podcast series, and I've listened to quite a few of them, so I, I would suggest you check it out. Podcast series called The GM Journey, where he is traveling from city to city to interview a bunch of different GMs. So far, uh, some of the guys are Andrew Barry of the Cleveland Browns, 
Eric DaCosta of the Baltimore Ravens, Mickey Loomis of the New Orleans Saints, uh, John Lynch. I thought that was a pretty good one to hear a little bit more about Lynch's transition and how he hooked up with Shanahan for the 49ers. Uh, let me think of who else. I think that's about uh, what well, I think that's about it. But he also did this most recent interview with John Robinson. And I was alerted to this because I do a little bit on here sometimes where I talk about canceling someone. It's a joke, uh, canceling someone for an anti-analytics take. And uh, Brendan sent this to me because he was wondering whether or not what Robinson said was cancelable. I did not think it actually was that bad, but I decided here's what I'll do. I don't want to get too involved into the snark back and forth and the devolving debate, which I knew would ensue after I sent this out. But I decided I would clip the question, the second half of the question and the answer where analytics came up. Uh, I would quote a not particularly inflammatory, but somewhat provocative part of what of what he said. And then I would explain in subsequent threaded tweets below my take on it. And again, I'm not trying to be too snarky. It was more of a overall point of trying to not othering analytics and not being a different thing from the rest of the different football thoughts and, and other things that are going on and use it as an, a, a collaborative incorporation and an approach there. And then it, it spiraled out of control <laughs> after that. You know, lots of snarky responses by people who were dunking on Robinson or the Titans, which is a little bit weird. I think people are very, very down on the Titans, despite the fact that they came off of a 12 and five uh, number one seeded season last year, 11 and five the year before. So this has definitely been the, the best two year stretch that they've had in quite a long time. So there was there was part of that. I think it has to do with you know some disappointment around the AJ Brown trade uh, in in this offseason. and the fact that Ryan Tannehill is going to be making a cool one of he's going to be making, but his cap hit is going to be a cool thirty eight point six million dollars this season versus only being I think it was eleven and a half last season. So there's a little bit of a pep- pessimism there. Uh, that might have been part of the response, but then of course you have the backlash to the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash to the backlash. But I'm going to play here the clip that that started it all. Um, the one that I posted on social media, again, very few people probably actually listened through to listen to the entire clip of what Robinson had to said here. And again, I don't think it was a cancelable offense. What he's saying here. I think what he's saying is probably in line exactly with what you would have heard, even on the more analytically friendly side of GMs just maybe 10 years ago. But in this new environment we have now where the GMs were being hired, whether it's Andrew Barry, who's, who was hired recently, uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, who was a former analytics head, research and development head, who is now the GM of the Minnesota Vikings. Ryan Poles is a pretty analytically friendly guy. Brian Bean was analytically friendly. Joe Shane, who's now coming from the Bean tree um, in New York, is pretty analytically friendly. Sometimes when you say things that even would have been within the scope of reasonable and maybe even somewhat enlightened thought 10 years ago can sound regressive today. And and you'll, you'll hear in this clip that Robinson even catches himself at a point where I think his veiled uh, disdain, some of his veiled disdain for having to even discuss these sorts of things starts to come out and he catches himself by saying, I'm not like a 1960s GM. But anyway, l- l- let's let the man speak for himself here. Uh, you'll hear Dimitrov at the beginning of this 
with part of the question, and then it'll lead into Robinson's answer here on analytics. I'm good at playing football. If the guy's good at playing football, then you try to get that guy on your on your team. If he's on, is there a, is there a nice fine line on being on the front end of the curve in your mind? Do you think that's your responsibility to make sure that you're open-minded to it? However, you're still very cognizant of not getting over your skis, so to speak. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's one, that's one thing, you know, with, with social media and the digital age and everything is so, you know, sometimes it drives me crazy uh, with all the stuff that gets set out there and everybody's an expert and um, it, it, you're right. And, and we incorporate some analytical data into some of the decisions that we make. But, I mean, I'd say 90% of the decisions we make is we, we put the film on and we watch the guy play football. Mm. Like, cause at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Like, does, does the guy play football pretty good? I mean, you're hiring the guy to play football. Um, not look at a bunch of numbers and, you know, and all that. Now there's a part of that that plays into that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to say like I'm some 1960s, you know, <laughs> GM here. I get it. Yeah. But there's a balance there. And at the end of the day, like keep coming back to you, put the film on and does the guy good at playing football? If the guy's good at playing football, then you try to get that guy on your, on your team. If he's on your team and he's, good at playing football, his position, then you want to try to keep him around. If he's not, you're going to find somebody to replace him. So whatever the numbers say and the metrics say, you know, at the end of the day, the, the film and the evaluation of what he actually, how he does his job is is probably the most important thing. Okay. So you heard it there. Again, he wasn't, you know, ranting too, too heavy, too high here. There was a little bit of old man yells at the cloud energy at the beginning, talking about social media, which maybe is actually a little uh, prescient on his part for the fact that this became a social media uh, dust up of the day uh, after I sent this out. But generally what he said, I think by a lot of football observers will seem to be pretty reasonable. You know, you base most of what you're doing on the tape and then you're going to supplement that with what he's calling analytics, which I think Part of the the problem with the debate is we don't really know what analytics is. Um, does it mean stats? Does it mean football stats? Does it mean PFF grades? Does it mean combine measurements? Because when he is clearly delineating, and this is one of the problems that I have with the statement, when he's clearly delineating football, he says football about 15 times during this little answer and he's putting football over here and then putting the different things he's being asked about, which is analytics, sports science, uh, being on the cutting edge of these other things over, over here. He's saying we have football and that's the important thing. And then we have this other stuff, but the other stuff that we're talking about here, where are these stats coming from? Even if he's just talking about stats, where are these numbers coming from? I mean, they're coming from football, right? Unless we're talking about combine metrics, which maybe you could say that is not a football-related thing. But as I've shown in a lot of my research here, that well before you know the nerds got involved in football, well before that, uh, the combine results have enormous effects on where a player is being drafted. And if anything, uh, this analytical nerd would say, too much of an effect on where players are being drafted, that the value that players are ending up providing for something like, let's say, wide receiver and 40-yard dash is probably one of the biggest ones. It has the biggest effect on their draft position. 
bettering their draft position if they run a fast uh, 40 time, but it has almost no effect on their value as we would measure their value in what we call the PFF war or the wins above replacement calculation. So we would actually even be pushing it back against some of these things where I think even amongst, you know, quote unquote football guys are really looking at things like, like combine metrics. So that would be my concern with that is that we're separating, we're kind of othering what analytics is where analytics can be stats if you want to call it stats but it can also be a way of viewing things in a general way and i want the clip that i want to play here is to really contrast the old school ish way that robinson is talking about things again it would have been very common practice just 10 years ago so we're not talking about old school like he was back with uh you know vince lombardi or something but an old schoolish way of of looking at things at football versus how quasi adofa mensa now with the vikings discussed the same topic when he's talked about analytics and now he's discussing it where he's, he's looking at a more holistic sort of way. And I think that's how there can be less conflict and more collaboration here. So let me play what Quazy had to say about this, this off season when he was interviewed by, um, I'm not sure if it was a Vikings affiliated um, interview here, but he was asked specifically about, about analytics. And this was uh, his answer. You know, it's not a word I use very often. <laughs> um, I think it's become kind of a loaded word. Um, I think it means more of, a lot of times it means more who is doing it, not what you're doing. And, you know, to me, analytics or even just being empirically minded is about being thoughtful and intentional. And so really thinking about why you're doing what you're doing, the decisions you're making. Um, and sometimes that's experience. Sometimes that's, yeah, maybe you're going to do a little research that involves numbers or whatever it is. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just about being thoughtful and then taking that thought and using that to action and really building a processes to connect the two, build a bridge. So to me, that's what that is. But I think analytics tries to, to make it sound like that this hasn't been done for many years. You know, you study Bill Walsh and, you know, I was in San Francisco and I used to have a picture of Bill Walsh on my desk. So anytime I thought I was smart, that would just be like there to humble me. And you read about him all the time and that's who he was. There was a very incredible thought and intent into everything he did at practice, what he was, how he scheduled practice, what he, the teaching progression for his players, everything was so detailed. And that's the same thing. It's a different canvas, but it's still art. And so I do it a little different way, but, um, you know, again, I don't, I don't love to use that word and, and that's probably why. Okay. I think, I think Quasi really, you know, hit the nail on the head there when it comes to analytics, not only does it have different meanings from everyone, but it has come to symbolize the person. He said the person who was doing it. So the, you know, the nerd versus the non-nerd where they're both trying to solve the same problem, but they're different people. I think it's also come to symbolize the tool or the tools, the type of tools. So statistical analysis, modeling, things like that, that someone is using, then gets put under the bucket of analytics. And if someone is doing something in a thoughtful, intentional way, maybe doesn't have the type of data that you would need to do a robust robust modeling, but is thinking about it, whether it, through intuition, through logic, through deduction, and trying to come up with a very intentional way of doing things that's not just based on tradition, not just based on um, feelings about, you know, things like toughness and momentum, but is really trying to nail down something that can also be a very thoughtful way. And, and what I would say is kind of an analytical way of thinking. As I approach a lot of different issues, even outside of football, when I'm thinking about things, I think my background is having someone who has some statistical knowledge, has some ability in the analytical world, does help digest other issues 
without having to, you know, get on the old, uh, you know, the, the, I'll do my Dave Gettleman impersonation, without having to get on the computer and type in all the numbers and do those things, you can have a way of viewing it, th viewing things where you want to not be too carried or too swayed or too biased in any particular way. So I think that's, that, that's, that's all part of it. And what was funny about this discussion is it got turned around so far because people jumped in dunking on Robinson, who then got dunked onto themselves. RIP to uh, Derek Cardi, who is a uh, fantasy <laughs> projections analyst for Rotor Grinders. I guess you could say a former colleague of mine, although I didn't work directly with him, where he jumped in and had a caveman comment about Robinson. And then at one point in time, he had a, a very impressive, I think it was like 50 quote tweets to zero retweets. Uh, right now, I think it's more in the area of about 80 to, to four or something like that, where he was getting dunked on by everyone, where I was initially making this point that analytics shouldn't be othered. Analytics is a broader experience than just numbers, and we can work in collaboration. I'm making that point. And then eventually, because people dunking on Cardi, it actually got all the way around to the point where people were saying that nerds are gatekeeping and saying the only the way that they do things can be considered analytics and not anything else, which was kind of the exact opposite point of me. I was more worried about Robinson gatekeeping and trying to separate the two things. And then it flew all the way around to say that nerds want to separate the two things and say, you can't have 90%. It has to be 50% analytics. I, I don't want to split it up. The I don't want to think of it as the pie generally. I want, you know, kind of like when Quasi is talking about analytics, I want people to say, we have resources and we want to make the best decision possible to bring them all together without saying immediately reflexively going to the fact that you don't want to give too much credit or too much weight or too much value to this other thing, this outside force of analytics when coming in. And that's kind of what, what, what I heard uh, from Robinson there. A secondary point uh, on this debate is that uh, in defense of Robinson, or at least in explanation of Robinson, some people brought up that he's a good GM or he's a great GM or he's a top five GM as if it were maybe not factual, but at least something that you could say with a large degree, degree of confidence. I don't have anything against the guy. I don't have anything against, against the Titans, but I guess from my view of how I view front offices, I put a little bit less weight on results. And I think that's where you're putting this weight. If you're saying John Robinson, you're saying he's been the GM for the Titans since 2016. He had four consecutive nine and seven seasons before going 11 and five and 12 and five, the last two seasons, first seed in the AFC, so on and so forth. That, that would be what you were, you're pointing to for his, for his success. I guess for me, I have, less confidence in translating record directly to success. Um, to build a little bit more context, play a little bit devil's advocate into whether or not Robinson is really a top five GM uh, beyond, you know, maybe some negative vibes that I'm going to have from how he talks and thinks about um, analytics and how it can be incorporated with what he's doing. Um you know, some, some context here is like, if you just look at with or without Tannehill, now he traded for Ryan Tannehill. So I can't say we're not giving him any credit for that, but what sort of team that he was able to build coming off of a, you know, a three and 13 team in 2015, a poor team. They had the number one pick in the draft. Uh, they had drafted Marcus Mariota the previous year at number two, but because they had that number one pick, they were able to trade out and accumulate uh, a lot of draft capital there, which put them in, in a pretty decent position moving forward. So they're really almost kind of like a year into their rebuild, despite the fact that 
they went three and 13 and had that poor season there. So if you take the Tannehill prior to Tannehill, the record of the Titans with another starting quarterback other than Ryan Tannehill since 2016 is 29 and 31 with Ryan Tannehill over the course of half of 2019, 2020 and 2021, they're 25 and 14. So all of the win-loss differential, positive win-loss differential has come from Tannehill being a part of this team. Is it all because of him? No, there's there's other players that are there. There's a system that is there. You know, Derrick Henry, all that stuff you want to talk about is fine. But let's remember, they were not winning after drafting Derrick Henry in 2016. They drafted Derrick Henry. Let's remember, it's been a while. They were not a winning franchise with Derrick Henry there and without Ryan Tannehill there over that time. They were basically a 500 franchise. So I also tried to get, okay, let's get a gauge of, you know, like team strength beyond win-loss record because win-loss record can be a little deceiving. Certain teams can have negative point differentials on the season and have uh, a good win-loss record. Strength of schedule is a big difference. And if you look at the play by expected points added per play, and for the uninitiated there, that's where we're looking at how many points are being added based upon the change in state and different points in the game. So how many points you would expect to score based upon how well you're playing. And we're going to look at it in an efficiency basis. We're going to look at it on a per play basis. The offensive ranks through the years for the Titans, and this is out of 32 teams, so an average team would be somewhere between 16 and 17. Um, the average, their offensive ranks are 12, 20, 23, Seven, guess what? Ryan Tannehill in the house now. Seven, three in 2020, and then 18 last season. So even though they're their best record last season, the offense you know, did perform that hot with uh, so many injuries along the offensive line and to A.J. Brown and others there. But if you think about that, it's almost like below average, above average, average is how they've been over that time period. That's kind of the arc over the time period offensively. Defensively, 23rd, 18th. So, you know, a little bit below average, 16th, the slightest bit above average, 15th, the slightest bit above average, 28th in 2020. So that was just like, like they were bad defense in 2020, but with awesome offensive performance to get them to that 11 and five record. And then it flipped in 2021, their defense was all the way up to fifth. One of the best performances they had, they had had by far, actually the best performance they've had underneath Robbins there. But again, we're talking about below average, average below average good that's been the, the arc there so all in all if you're looking at that it's pretty average so how do we get to the winning record over this over this entire period of time well they had a they were in the 10 easiest schedules strength of schedules for every season from 2016 to 2021 except for one year uh 2019 they were not they were not in the bottom 10 they were more uh like the 12th most difficult schedule, but they're sort of the bottom 10, all these different years. I mean, if you just look at last year for an example, when you're playing in the AFC South, that means you have, you know, six games a year where you're facing rookie Trevor Lawrence, rookie Davis Mills and uh, veteran Carson Wentz, who can, you know, can Wentz things up pretty, pretty severely there. So th there's a little bit of an easier, easier play there. And again, like I said, this season, we have Tannehill with a cap hit. That's going to be 38, Point six million versus what we've seen before. Uh, they had the trade away of AJ Brown and of all the draft picks that Robinson's made. And he's made a lot of draft picks because of the fact that they were able to trade back early in there. The successes you could put into that category, AJ Brown, who has now been traded away, 
Uh, Kevin Byard, who is now on a pretty substantial contract. I don't know if, you know, you're getting a lot of value at that second contract, but he did make a second contract there. Derek Henry, who is was adding value, I would say, even on that contract before what happened most recently. And then the re-signing, you know, Harold Landry is going to get a second contract. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is probably going to get a second contract. So they, they have had some hits there, but only a couple of guys have even been pro bowlers amongst that entire group. And then it's really the trade for Tannehill, which remember at the time, they, they were just kind of dumping them off uh, the Dolphins that ended up picking up everything here. Last couple of drafts are looking at least initially like they could be disasters. So long-winded way of me saying here, is John Robinson actually a top GM? I'm doing that, you know, shrug emoji with the hands up here. I, I don't know. He could be. Uh, he could not be. But I, I think it's foolish to at least assign him that sort of ranking because of the results that we've seen here. To me, they're not so definitively good when we have no window into what his real process has been there. No window into what his thinking has been there other than some of the clips that I've heard. And they haven't been encouraging. Even when discussing the AJ Brown trade, nothing was that encouraging that, that I heard from him there. Now the, you know, tightened up Titan fans out there. You probably know a lot more than I do as far as what Robinson's uh, mentality and what his disposition is when these things are concerned. But for me, I'm still putting in a question mark at this point. So for that reason, I'm not going to throw out remarks that he has that seem like they could be a little bit more, quote unquote, anti-analytics or not as analytical friendly. I'm going to I'm going to ding him for that. And I'm going to say that is a significant thing that I'm not just going to toss aside and and not care about. All right. Before we get to mailbag, let's talk Manscaped. Gentlemen, we all strive for gold. In our lives, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle. I mean, eagles don't walk, though, right? Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm getting into the, the I'm getting into the ad read here. And giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine, and he unzips his pants. He sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like you to introduce you to their biggest and best ultimate hygiene bundle yet: the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. That's 20% off, free shipping, code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get your platinum package. Okay, get a platinum package for your platinum package. Um, last thing here, 25% off PFF, promo code unexpected. Support the pod, show the higher-ups there, show Chris Collinsworth that you appreciate the content that I'm giving you here. Use promo code unexpected. Get all the locked article contents. Fantasy season is heating up. Now, fantasy season is kind of a bigger deal this year. As I mentioned, With the, there's an underdog ad read at the beginning of this thing. Uh, it, it's kind of popping already out in these fantasy streets here. So we have our rankings up. We have our content there. I'm going through a breakout wide receiver series for fantasy football, looking at all the second-year wide receivers, how they – comp to previous guys their probability of breakouts based upon how efficient they were and their usage in their rookie seasons all that'll be available to you for 25 percent off with promo code unexpected all right let's hit uh the the the, the tried and true 
mailbag discussion here. Um, you can never go wrong with, with a mailbag here. So I got a few got a few good questions here. I'm going to go to the ones that I solicited and got back on Twitter already here from today. And okay, the first, first one I think is pretty interesting. This is from The Real Kawawau. I should really stop saying these handles. I just feel ridiculous saying this. Anyway, is there an advantage to investing in positions where the tag, the meaning the franchise tag, is lower, i.e. tight end or common, i.e. tight end, quarterback, left tackle, over positions where top players regularly hit the open market or are traded for, i.e. cornerback. Actually, the proper use there is EG, not IE, but whatever. It seems like tag use should be related to how underpaid a position is. Okay. So I'm a little confused here, but I think I get what's being what's being said here. So I think when it comes to, let's, let's talk about the draft first, because there are different types of investing. There's free agent investing. There's mainly two types of investing. Free agent, which I'll throw trades in there too, like veteran investment. And there is draft investment. So those are probably the two main things. So let's talk about draft investment. And of course, the currency in draft investment is draft capital. So how much you're willing to spend on a position. I do think it's important. And where the tag is play, can play into this. If the tag is fairly low for a certain position, let's say like tight end, the, the tag is low. It's calculated based upon the top five contracts out there there's there are never really five top top tight ends at any particular point in time and because of that it drags down the franchise tag amount which drags down the leverage of the player because teams can always just continue to tag them going forward so those guys are never going to really hit free agency unless the team is done with them they're not going to be priced out of being able to have them in this sort of sort of circumstance if you think about the long tail to their careers also, and this would contrast it to a small tag amount for someone like a running back. You know, Kelsey now is performing extremely well at 33 years old. Gronk went through his mid thirties guys like Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez played for a very long time and were productive for a very long time too. So it's not just a rookie contract that you're investing in a tight end. You're getting a long tail investment out of them at a cheaper price. So I do think they're, there is value for saying you want to invest in it in the draft, but it's also been pretty commonly seen that it's really hard to figure out who the top tight ends are. First round tight end picks have not translated into necessarily your high, high end play. I mean, Rob Gronkowski would have been a first rounder if not for back issues that he had in college, which pushed him into the second round. Um, someone like, you know, Antonio Gates, of course, was nowhere close to the first round. Uh, George Kittle was a fifth round pick. Travis Kelsey was a third round pick. Um, many of these top, top tight ends were not top picks. So the inability to evaluate them because of how they're used in these college offenses, where sometimes you're just betting on traits because you don't have the evidence of what they've been able to do in college if they're not asked to do that in college, complicates that for a tight end. Now, as far as for quarterback and left tackle, hundred percent, you should be investing in those positions in the draft because you're not going to get those guys in free agency because the tag is seen as being a value at those positions. Remember, there's one tag for the entire offensive line, which means centers and guards. You don't see them tagged. You don't see centers tagged basically ever. Uh, guards, you're going to see tagged less frequently. Those guys will hit free agency 
So if you want to get elite talent at those positions, you can do that in free agency. You can say I'm going to invest in free agency versus not investing in the draft. Whereas for left tackles or high-end quarterback play, it's pretty much the draft. And I would agree with cornerback here as a, it's kind of like an either-or sort of situation. The reason that you don't want to overinvest, I think, in the draft here is because you can find these guys in free agency. They are available. It's not an impossibility. But the reason that you don't want to ignore them in the draft is that you need three, four competent quarterbacks in order, cornerbacks in order to be able to play well. And once you start going into free agency where guys are switching schemes, you don't necessarily know how well they're going to play. I mean, we'll see how guys like, you know, JC Jackson, for instance, coming over an undrafted a UDFA who performed well with the Patriots is now coming over to San Diego in a whole new scheme. Those guys, sometimes it works out very often. It doesn't work out. So you don't want to be left only in the free agent market for those types of players because you need so many of them, but you also don't want to, you know, use all your first round picks on those types of players because you have these other needs to fill depending on the position. Okay. I hope that answers most of it. Although I may have gone off on a bigger, bigger tangent than I expected here. All right. This is from Cole Harris. How have you navigated your Browns front office fandom after all the decisions made this offseason? I'm having problems with it myself as well. So as I mentioned, and in, in, for those watching on YouTube right now, you can see my man, Sashi, in the background here. I used to have a tongue-in-cheek named podcast called What Would Sashi Do in the past, and that was the, the graphic for that. So yeah, I have been interested ever since Paul DePodesta and Sashi Brown came there. Uh, we had, of course, the, you know, the dark years there, the interregnum of... Uh, uh, Dorsey coming in and then now Andrew Barry back there. I've been pretty vocal on this podcast about not being a fan of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, mostly because of my assumption of his guilt, but ignoring that, right? Let's ignore that there. I think we all have to compartmentalize a little bit when we're discussing these things. Um, I still think there are reasons, even from a football perspective, to not be in love with what with the move because of the amount that they're paying and because of the the picks that were given up there. So what I would say is again, you maybe try to compartmentalize a little bit, uh, give them credit when they deserve credit, give them you know grief when they deserve it, and I think deserved a lot of it for how the Deshaun Watson situation has played out. But for me, at least the benefit that I have, where I'm more interested in certain players who I believe are undervalued, rooting for them, certain front offices that I believe do things well, and rooting for them is that you know what? I can pick up my bag and I I can go. Unlike a fan of a team who's locked in. And part of that being locked in is I think we can get a little bit of a, you know, irrationality and and bias and and different opinions there is I can go ahead and, you know, pull up my stakes from Brown's Island, uh, pull up my tent, uh, go jump in the boat and, and go paddle somewhere else. Uh, go land on Viking shore. Maybe now when I see what Quasi is going to be doing up there. Uh, but for now, I think you've got to just separate the two things. And uh, you know, the best thing for the Browns may be that he doesn't even play this season. You toll his contract out to next year. Uh, things quiet down a bit. The possibility of new allegations is kind of off of the table with statute of limitations running out on that. And maybe there'll be even a perception amongst people that, he has paid a big enough price at that point. And again, if you toll his contract, he's going to be on this $1 million salary next year at a pretty low cap number to, to compete then. Uh, another question here from Aaron. Do you think that if Jameis Winston finished the season healthy last year, 
The Saints, I assume here we're talking about, would have won the NFC South after beating the Bucs twice. Of course, taking into consideration his expected points added numbers inevitably regressing. Yeah, so Jameis Winston on a per drop back basis, per play basis, was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL last year. Now, they weren't using him very much. They weren't using a whole lot at all. Uh, a decent amount of that was built in that very unexpected week one result where the Saints blew out the Packers. Uh, Winston only threw it a handful of times, but put up huge numbers as far as expected points at it. I'm a, I, I've been a Jameis believer. I may be like a Jameis contrarian, maybe more than a Jameis believer, because I remember after his second season, they were on hard knocks that off season. It was all about Jameis and the leap that they were going to take. I was a little bit more suspicious because of his propensity to, to turn the ball over. Then over the course of the next year or two after that, everyone jumped off ship. And I remember there was a uh, podcast that I listened to at the time where they were ranking all the quarterbacks under 25 at the time. And Jameis Winston was last on their rankings there. And I thought, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. Like this guy is not that bad. He can give you maybe league average type of play. And I think that he would have been one of my favorite guys of the entire offseason. If you're going to stack up Winston, let's say Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, one of these free agent types, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, all these guys who would have been available. I mean, he might've been my favorite guy of all those different guys because of the fact that he has displayed definitely some upside. And if you can just quell a little bit, the propensity for, for the turnovers, you have something there. So I think the Bucks, I mean, I th I'm sorry. I think that the Saints... I don't think they would have won the NFC South because I think he would have aggressed enough where that wouldn't have that, that wouldn't have worked. But I would have think they would have made the playoffs if if he was there and they would have been a, a strong team to potentially compete and knock off some teams, including, you know, the Bucks as as they showed that they could do a couple of times last season. All right. This is from uh, Humbubba666. Another great name here. Does having an elite quarterback make a defense better or worse as it might incentivize the opposition to throw more. Um, I tend to just separate the two, quite honestly. I think if you're looking at pure EPA per play on defense, or even offense to a degree, but especially on defense, you do have to account for the fact that if you have a really good offense for that same team, and the mix is more pass to run, you're going to have a higher expected efficiency that you're going to give up. So if you're ranked, let's say 10th in the NFL in your defensive efficiency, uh, as far as giving up low amount of expected points per play on defense, but that other team, but your offense stinks. So the other team is just running out the clock every single fourth quarter against you. Well, you're probably not actually the 10th best team in the NFL. So on the flip side, if your quarterback is is good and your offense is good, then it is going to hurt the optics, at least, for the defense. Um, I guess it's maybe, but, but we're talking about like on a per play type of basis. This is almost the exact opposite of the, 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 the infamous, I want to say, it's probably been used with many players throughout history, but I think Zeke was probably, Ezekiel Elliott was probably the main one when he was being extended, when there was discussions of him and his extension in 2019, I guess. And the discussion was really around 
how he makes the defense better. Like Zeke makes the defense better. And that's just, you know, that that's just ridiculous. I mean, you're, if you're, if you're using your running back too much, you're probably hurting your offensive efficiency, which, you know, maybe it, then it makes, then it makes the defense better by the fact that the other team feels like they can run more and not have as good of efficiency on their side. But generally I would say, yeah, the, sometimes having a high flying quarterback on offense can make the defensive efficiency go down because the other team is increasing their pass mix, but that doesn't mean your win probability is going down. Right. The other team is reacting and trying to to win games by doing it where they could have a worse defense if they're just I mean, a worse offensive efficiency if they were just running ball the entire fourth quarter. But they don't really care in that circumstance because they're, they're going to win the game anyway. So some of it's about win probability versus you know EPA per play. Having a great quarterback can be bad for your EPA per play. But as far as your win probability, you always I wouldn't worry about any offset in that in that regard as far as having good quarterback play. Uh, let's hit a couple more here before we get out of here and then start the next year here. Okay, here is a, a mailbag from Common Denominator, which is interesting here because I think I was doing some dunking on the cap isn't real, people. I, I'm a I'm a cap realist. I'm not a cap truther of saying that it is not real. So I was thought provoking question here where he says what I would think analytics community would embrace the cap isn't real movement contend while you can then trade away all your vets for picks whenever it falls apart. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two different points here. If you have a quarterback, that is such an advantage for a very long period of time that when we talk about windows and we, and you think about the variability of play, you think about how, other position players, especially defensive position players, their productivity, like cornerbacks, things like that, can go up or down over a particular season. Being able to recognize that you have a window, you're probably overconfident of when you have a window and when you don't have a window. So in that way, I think managing the cap in a way to spread out and to have some inherent value built into every single season while you have a quarterback will give you an incrementally better chance of making the playoffs more times. And then once you're into the playoffs, weird things can happen. So shooting for that elite top tier type of team, let's say like the Rams did this last year and they ended up winning and they're pushing a bunch of cap liabilities and draft liabilities in a way, not having these draft assets into the future yeah, it can work. But if you have a quarterback who you really believe in, you're going to have like a 10-year window. This is not one, two-year windows and then rebuild is not how you should be approaching it. And that's how you know the Patriots believed in things in the past. They were never mortgaging the future. They were never re-signing players to run it back to try to get one more. They would let players go. They would collect comp picks. They would spend wisely in free agency. And they would put themselves in the best position for a sustained period of time, allowing for the fact that, yeah, you have Tom Brady. So that helps a lot. And then that quarterback is going to take you to the next level, hopefully in the playoffs each year. So I, I'm, I'm open to the idea that you should be pressing forward in windows, but I think the hidden part of that is recognizing when you have a window. Cause if you look at a team like the bears, they thought maybe they had a window with Trubisky when they had that good season in 2018, they pushed in Khalil Mack, trading up, getting rid of picks, spending a lot of money in free agency. And when it doesn't hit, not only does it fall apart with Trubisky not being the guy you thought he was and having to get rid of, now we are 
post Trubisky by multiple seasons and the bears are stuck running in the mud. The Falcons right now are stuck, you know, running in the mud, uh, stuck sinking a little bit, not even able to dig their way out at this point. And when you do that, uh, I mean, not only are you dead, obviously, as a GM, and maybe you don't care at this point, but you're hamstringing the, the franchise for multiple years, where the NFL, you can turn around things pretty quickly. So if you build in this in this little bit of value, if you try to make the best transactions every year, even if a quarterback doesn't work out, you can try to get another quarterback and move right back in pretty quickly in the NFL, but not when you do these all-in type of moves, the rebuilds. The extended period of time is just a, it's just a waste. So these are just wasted years for the Bears and the Falcons. Most likely, I mean, you never know. They could make the playoffs or something by some miracle. But these are most likely wasted years. And I just hate to see those wasted years in a sport where if you have someone you think can be a good quarterback, and who knows, maybe you know Desmond Ritter can be that guy for the Falcons. Maybe Justin Fields can be that guy for the Bears. And a lot of things go right. You can compete for a playoff berth, you can compete to get into the playoffs. You can compete maybe even for a Super Bowl if everything goes right. I mean, look at the turnaround that the Cincinnati Bengals had. Um, but you have to put yourself in the ability to pivot. And when you go too far all in, it takes multiple years to get to, to dig out. The multiple years that you that you jump in, the more years it takes you to get out of, get out of that situation. Okay, and the last question here from Matthew C., which was sent to me via email. If you want to send me an email, kevin.cole at pff.com. Uh, Matthew C says a question about the marginal value from increasing a certain percentage in pressure rate. Is it more valuable as your baseline rate increases? Essentially, if your pressure rate is 10% and increased to 11%, is that more valuable than an increase from 50 to 51%? Is this a direct relationship or is there a place in the middle where is more valuable from either extreme? In layman's term, is an increase in pressure rate more valuable for a team with a low pressure rate or is it more valuable for a team with a high pressure rate? Uh, the instinct, his instinct says increasing an already high pressure rate would be more valuable, but also likely more difficult. I mean, I think your instincts are right. So increasing that high pressure rate would be more, would definitely be, be more valuable because if you're having that high of a pressure rate, you're going to get a certain number. They're going to translate over to sacks. You're going to get a higher number. They're going to translate over to sacks. If you're getting in that often, you're probably getting in that quickly. So each additional percent that you're increasing is going to have a disproportionately positive effect on sack rate, which is ultimately what we want, right? I mean, pressures are good in that they lower quarterback performance when you're pressured, but some pressures. And again, when you have low pressure rates, Quarterbacks are just inviting pressure to a certain amount. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they're just not even going to throw the ball. They're going to have a baseline pressure rate of 15, 20%, even if they're facing a defense that doesn't have a good pass rush because they're doing the mental calculus in their head to say, I know that receivers can get a little bit more open downfield. I can hold the ball a little bit longer. I'm confident in my ability to avoid a sack. So I'm going to give that pressure. So when you're increasing, you know, between 10 and 15%, it's not really helping anything. If anything, it's probably the offense adjusting to you. If you're increasing beyond a, a huge amount, that's not the offense controlling that. That's, that's, that's your defense really playing through there. And it's more likely to be translating not only through a more substantial type of pressure that'll hurt quarterback throws when they get that off, but also be translating into sacks, which are extremely negative from an offensive perspective. So Matthew, you are correct in your assumption there that increasing the high pressure rate would be more beneficial. Now it's also a lot harder to do because you're not only, if you're talking about a great defense that has a lot of pressure they're bringing there, 
um, these are all like independent actors, let's say, who are coming in. Let's say you have someone on the right and left um, edge who are both coming in there. Well, if you already have a 50% pressure rate here and you're going to try to get even a better player on the left edge to increase that, I mean, they're going to need to beat that person there in order to take the pressure away from them and to make it and to have it on an even higher amount, which will be that much more difficult to do. So I don't know if there's a practical way to apply this in your thinking, but I would say don't get excited about increases in pressure that you may see from a, from a low rate, because a lot of that is going to be controlled by the quarterback on the other side and how much they are inviting that pressure. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back at you probably tomorrow. Um, because of the weekend, I, you know, the long weekend, I didn't, I didn't come on Monday for the July 4th and I'm coming at you tomorrow quarterbacks 40 through 31 on my goat list. Just to give you a little preview here of some of the names you're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear Jim Kelly. You're going to hear Donovan McNabb. That'll be a controversial one. Uh, you're going to hear some olds, there's some olds here, probably the most misunderstood statistical quarterback in the history of the NFL, Joe Namath, I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Troy Aikman, another misunderstood guy, not as misunderstood as, as Namath, but somewhat misunderstood. And Rich Gannon, Rich Gannon, uh, a little bit, a little bit controversial that he'll be in there, but uh, the dude put up some, some numbers in the second half of his career. Anyway, to everyone who is listening in, I thank you so much for doing so, and I'll be coming at you next week. Until then, have a great uh, rest of your day.